want to look today at, at John chapter 20 and look at this uh, story of the resurrection. And I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture first before I start talking, because I don't want to talk and get away from the Bible before I get to it. So I know you just sat down, but I want to make sure you're awake. So stand back up. Uh, just uh, out of just, we're going to honor God's word by standing, just a, a way of saying uh, amen to God. Now, on the first day of the week, this is John chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we did not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back. To their homes. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you indeed are alive today, that there is no question, no doubt about that, and that we can uh, walk in the reality of that resurrection. Father, we pray that this day you might uh, just show up and show off, Lord, that you would uh, speak your word into our hearts. Lord, I know that I'm, I'm not good enough to, to do your word justice, and so, Lord, my best speech is but stuttering and stammering. Uh, to, to the truth of your word. But Lord, we know that you will bless stuttering and stammering and, and that you will bring truth into our hearts. So as we look into your perfect word, we pray that, uh, Lord, the Holy Spirit would, would in, uh, infuse into us the meaning, the, the reality of what you said and, that, and, and seeing the reality of what your word commands that we will obey. Lord, we ask your help uh, to bind our enemy, keep him away from us, rebuke him for us. Uh, Lord, he has to do that if you, if you tell him to, and we, we ask you to do that. Uh, we just take the authority of Christ and that, that we might have freedom, Lord. Uh, we know that he's going to trouble us and, and uh, give us difficulty, but we ask that we can have freedom, especially for those who, who may not know you and need to hear clearly your word. Lord, protect us and, and be with us. We thank you, Father, that uh, you loved us so much. You sent Jesus and that, Jesus, you came and put on a human suit and lived with us so that we could see you as a, as a man, and that as a man you did not sin, and thus you were qualified and you became sin for us on that cross and died in our place, and that being buried three days later you arose to victory, and, and uh, you're still alive, still seated at the right hand of Father, that seat of power, uh, until one day the Father says, uh, go back and get them all and bring them to heaven. Lord, we just thank you. For that glorious day that's coming. And in, in the meantime, we've got to live this day by following your will. And we ask you to help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. And uh, if you want to, if, you, if you're so excited you can't, that's fine with us. We're glad, we're glad you're here. It's warm up here. I hope you're not too warm. I'm, I'm kind of warm-natured, so I always feel a little hot. So I don't want to make it too cold on you. But um, today, of course, it's, it's Easter Sunday. This is the day where we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the story of Jesus is an irreducible complexity. 
Now, I love that phrase because it makes me sound smart. Um, uh, your eye is an irreducible complexity. If one thing goes wrong in the system by which you see, the whole thing shuts down. You cannot see. And, uh, and, and so the story of Christ is by that irreducible complexity, I mean that if one part of what we believe about Christ isn't true, the whole thing falls apart. Here's what we believe about Christ, and, and, and we need all of it. Today we're talking about one part of this story, but, but it's, the, it's the one that gives credence to everything else. We believe that Jesus is God, that he dwelt in eternity past. He was with God before there was a universe, before there was a world, before there was any creation. God dwelt all by himself in a void with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. They didn't need love. They didn't need food. They didn't need anything but each other, and they were perfectly happy. And that for whatever reason, the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, in the first chapter, that Jesus thought of this idea, let's make a universe. And we'll put a planet in this one galaxy down there, and uh, they'll call it the Milky Way, and we'll put a new creature on there called man, and man will rebel against our will, and he will sin, and we will have to create hell for him uh, for sinning, but I'll go and pay the price for them on a cross and die in their place and rise again. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how Jesus said it, but the Bible lets us know that before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, this was the idea of Jesus' mind. Colossians 1 goes on to tell us that it is the, the authority of Jesus by which it was done. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit moved on the face of the water, but the Holy Spirit was the agent, but Jesus is the authority that caused that to happen. The Father said, yes, that's my will. Let's do it that way. And so God created us knowing that we would sin and that he would have to pay the price for us, but he did it anyway. We believe that in eternity past, Jesus existed as God. We believe that in Bethlehem, he put on a human suit. He put on a body. He became a man. He didn't have an earthly father, for if he did, he would have had a sin nature, and he would have had to die for his own sin. But God was his father. Mary was his mother physically. We'll see a little bit of that later on. But because God was his father, he, did, he wasn't born with a sin nature. But he was just like Adam when Adam was created. Adam was created without sin. He, had, he was perfect when he was made. And he had the opportunity to either obey God or rebel against God. And Adam rebelled against God. And he was the legal head of the human race. And whatever he did would pass on to all of us. And so... Adam sinned, and sin passed upon all men. Jesus is called the last Adam. He came, again, as the head that all who would come under his authority, under his uh, command, could be saved. And so he lived a righteous life. He took on our sin and paid the penalty for our sin on a cross. And he was buried, and we come to today where he rises from the dead. And, and because he did that, and the Bible says he went back to the heaven, he's seated at the right hand, the hand of power of God, until one day the Father says to him, go back and get the church. And that's, what, that's where we are. We are in that in-between time of Jesus leaving and Jesus coming back. That's what is meant in Hebrews 11.1 1, when it says, Faith is the evidence of things hoped hope, hope for, the substance, I'm sorry, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, we have a promise from God that he will save us and he's going to come back and get us either at our death or at the, at the final day of judgment. He's going to come and resurrect our bodies and change them into an eternal body. And those who are dead in Christ, they'll be reunited with their soul. Those who are alive and remain are changed in their body in that moment. And so what is faith is living between the promise and the actuality. 
That's what Hebrews 11 1 is telling us. So we have this promise and we live by faith, trusting the reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And today, the fact of the resurrection is the key to it all because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's no better than Buddha. He's no better than Muhammad. He's no better than Hitler, for that matter. And so, if you can disprove the resurrection, we can fold our Bibles and just go do whatever we want. But you can't disprove it because it's the most provable fact of history. There's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. There's more evidence, not that Jesus lived, but that he rose from the dead. There's more evidence of that than, than there is that Shakespeare wrote all the plays that are attributed to his writing. We know more, we know that the fact of the resurrection better outside of the Bible than any other fact of ancient history or even modern history. And so it's vitally important, and I'll show you why, but here's the phrase I want you to remember today. The stone rolled away so we could see what God did and still does. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive and active in our lives and in this world. He is alive and is is accomplishing his will in our lives every day. And as a believer in Christ, myself and anybody in here who is a believer, every morning we get up because we know God's got this. He's, he's in control. No matter what it looks like to our physical eyes, God's got it. He's doing something. I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples didn't even remember that he said he was going to rise from the dead. They were in sorrow. They were in fear. And thankfully, in the text, we find out some women were brave enough to go check it out, and when they got there, they found out he was alive. I, I just want to talk about this, this scripture for a second. It says that the first day of the week, they, 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 these women went to the tomb. Now, that's Sunday. I know that today, a lot of you can get calendars that start on Monday. Monday's not the first day of the week. It's the second day of the week. All right? Sunday's the first day of the week. But because we are now, you know, we worship money more than God, we, we make that first day of work first day of the week, but actually the first day is today. And on the first day of the week, why did they go on that day? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he was there from 9 to 3, and it was, the next day is the Sabbath in Israel. They say Shabbat Shalom on, on the day leading up to and all day on Saturday. They don't just say Shalom, they say Shabbat Shalom, which means a, a Sabbath peace to you. And, and uh, and, and so they had to get Jesus into the tomb quickly, and they couldn't do anything on Saturday because it was a holy day. Plus, it was Passover week. And so, especially, that's the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. There was no way they could do anything on that day. And so they had to wait till Sunday came to go. Now, when Jesus was taken down from the tomb, they, they, they uh, here's just a quick evidence. They would wrap a, a body back then, just like they did in ancient Egypt. We think, you read the Bible, it's one book, you kind of think it all happened at the same time. Thousands of years before, the Egyptians were making, were, were wrapping up mummies. Well, the Jewish people, centuries later, would still wrap a body in cloths. And they would sprinkle spices in between those wraps uh, to keep down the smell, uh, to be Honest, but the Bible says in Psalms that God promised the Messiah that he would not suffer his body to see corruption. In other words, he wouldn't be dead long enough for his body to rot. But they forgot about that. And so they wrapped him in some spices and put him in the tomb. But they didn't do a sufficient job. And that's why the women are going back. Somehow, between Friday and Sunday, they got their hands on a lot more spices. About 300 pounds worth 
uh, is what is estimated. We're not sure how they got them. The Bible doesn't tell us. And they're on their way to the tomb. And I don't know how they carried that much spices between three women, but, uh, but they did. And they're on their way to make sure they wrap it right. Now, uh, in Sunday school today, we were talking about, did they realize there's a Roman guard? Did they realize the tomb had been sealed? Not sure. Uh, but think how brave those women were. I mean, the, the government put him to death. At the hands of the religious government, the Jewish leaders, who hated Jesus, and they were gonna, would want to kill any of his followers. But it just took some ladies who were more brave than the guys to go. And it's interesting, after they saw Jesus risen, they became the very first preachers. For some of you fundamentalists, I'll let that sink in. As he said, go tell my disciples I'm alive. The very first person to proclaim that was a lady. Hallelujah. Amen. And I just, that might not make you happy, but I think that was pretty cool. So they, they saw this miracle. The, the women get there, and the stones rolled away. And, and, and the sense of that word, you know, we, in, in popular TV, movies, all that stuff, whenever we see, and we do it here. We, uh, last week, Travis was up here singing, and I, I, I had to sing next to him up there in the, in the play about where the words are. I'm standing next to him, and I can't hit that high note he can hit. So I felt a little, uh, you know, intimidated. But, but even up there, we, we, we had this big old styrofoam stone, and we rolled it out of the way. But the sense of that word in the original language, which is Greek, that the Bible, the New Testament is written in, it, it's not that it rolled away, it was thrown away. It was like you could just throw it. I've always said that, that I want a resurrection scene in church. We'd have to clear out some room but I just want that thing to blow off the cover. I mean, just boom, you know, come flying off. And, and in this account in the book of John, because the Bible gives us different perspectives and different people, uh, and we can put it all together and see what happened. When they got there, the angel's sitting on the rock, kind of like just hanging out, being cool, waiting. I, I, I think it's cool. It's like a very relaxed pose. And these are some warrior angels. I mean, these are bad angels. The Bible doesn't tell us which angel that was. I, I'm curious to know kind of which angel did what sometimes in the Bible. But, but they throw that stone away, and the women show up and goes, come on in and see. But see, there was another problem. The Jewish people believed better than the disciples Jesus was going to rise from the dead. The Jewish leaders go to the Romans and say, listen, Pilate, this, this guy that we hate, and you know they're calling him imposter and a bunch, probably a bunch of bad names the Bible doesn't record. And, and they said... He said that he was going to rise from the dead after three days. So we're asking you, put a guard on that. And so, okay, go ahead, do it. And he says, go make it as secure as you can. So they, they seal that rock. I mean, they put a seal on it that is a government seal. This is top secret information. You can't have this. I won't get into politics. Anyway, it, it, you're not supposed to see that. We're, nobody can get in. Then they put seal six in front of it. It was a, a Roman guard. But these, are, these aren't just little wimpy guards like the new recruits. These are 16 men. This was like one, the, the, one of the toughest guards there were. And they took a four-man duty every 15 minutes. Four men would stand in front of the tomb. After 15 minutes, they would switch with another four. And they did that around the clock so that nobody would fall asleep. Because if one guy fell asleep as he's guarding the tomb, the whole 16 would be put to death. And that's why the Bible lets us know that after they got knocked unconscious and they, got, they went to the Jewish leader and said, they got his body. Somebody, some, he's gone. They said, listen, when they ask you, tell them the disciples snuck in at night and took the body from a sealed tomb with seal six, 16 seal six guys standing there. 
Now, it wasn't actually SEAL 6. I'm just thinking about some of the baddest ones we got. Delta, whatever you want to say. 16 Rangers. I don't care. 16 Coast Guard. Whatever. We got some, some men there watching the tomb. And they go, oh, yeah, they got the body. I don't think so, Tim. That, that ain't what happened. <laughs> they were knocked unconscious. And when they woke up, there's an angel sitting there on the rock going, you boys having fun? You know, Devon didn't say he said that, but I kind of in my imagination like think he did. But they, so they take off running, and then the Jews paid off the officials. They don't put them to death. Don't worry about it. And they gave them money. It's what the Bible records happened. So these women get there, and there this angel says, go tell his disciples he's risen. So they turn, and they go back, and they tell Peter and John. Now, Peter, he's, Jesus has said, you're going to be the head of the church. But the last thing Peter did just before this event was deny he even knew Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I got a pretty active guilt complex thing going. And You know how it is when you're a kid and you do something and you hope your parents don't catch it. And you know you did wrong. You know everything's messed up. And Peter's probably feeling kind of guilty, pretty bad about all this. John, on the other hand, is his best friend. John was Jesus' best friend on earth. He's the guy leaning on him at the Last Supper. He's the guy that Jesus said, hey, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He turns the responsibility over to John to take care of his mom. And the Bible says and from that day on, John took Jesus' mom home with him and took care of her. And so here's Jesus' best friend who was a young guy because he lives into about 100 A.D. He lives about 60 more years and was a pretty old man. We believe he, he, he might have even hit 100 years old. And Peter was already kind of an old guy. And so they come and tell these two, and Peter, because, oh man, is he alive? That, is that even possible? He's got that guilt going. He wants to go check it out. John is excited, wants to see Jesus, so they take off running. Well, John's younger, Peter's older, so John gets there first. But because John's younger, he might, out of respect, I don't know, he might have stepped back like, well, I can't go in. He's trying to see. And Peter, because he's old and his brakes were bad, he just, poof, right on in. I think, I think Peter was ADHD, too. He has no impulse control. It's like, oh, let's go on in. So he busts in there, and the Bible tells us here in John, they see the linen cloths lying there. Now, I want you to just think about that. In TVs and movies, the stone rolls away. Jesus gets up and walks out. But that's not what John just told us. John told us the linen cloths that he was wrapped in were just laying there. I don't think if Jesus had stood up, I mean, what's he going to do, hop out? See, the stone was, not, was gone, not so that Jesus could get out, but so we could get in, see, he'd left. I believe when God shows up, the power is so great, something's got to give. I mean, this overloads everything when God showed up. The earth shook as Jesus died because the earth understood that its creator was now separated from God the Father and was dying for its fallenness. The Bible says that whole, all creation groans under the weight of, of the fallen condition that we're in. And as Jesus died, the earth groaned and shook and there was an earthquake. And Jesus is in that tomb and the Holy Spirit comes in there and raises him from the dead. And he just out through the rock. He goes through those cloths and everything and he's just gone. And as he exits that that tomb, in his body, by the way, that body was changed. And it was a physical body. When he shows up later, the door's locked, and all of a sudden he's standing there. He's like, hey, guys, like, ah, how'd you get in? He's like, it's just me. Here, give me some fish. I'll show you. It's just me. And he ate something. He has a physical body, but it could just 
go through anything. It's just gone. He, he, I don't know. He's traveling at the speed of thought. I don't, I don't know. He's just, he could just go through anything. So he came out of that tomb, and those cloths that had been holding him just sink. And when John sees that, it says here in the book of John, because John's writing this, this is a firsthand account. And John lets us know that when he saw those cloths, it says he believed. That's when belief entered into John. Peter left going, oh man, what's going to happen now? I denied him and now he's alive and what's going to happen? Well, the next chapter, Jesus restores Peter. But this is not a made-up lie. These men say later when they're arrested and threatened with death that we will not, we can only, we, 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 we can't do anything but speak what we have seen and heard. They saw the resurrected Christ. Later on, this isn't in this part of the story, but later on, Jesus appears to them. They see him, and they knew it was truth. A man will lie until punishment's going to come for that lie, and then he'll change his tune. But every one of these men died proclaiming Jesus is a lie. That's an evidence right there that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that the cloths were still in the tomb is the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, but... Here's what the Bible tells us in Romans 1.4. You can turn there if you want, write down the reference, do something to make sure you catch this. But in Romans 1.4, the Bible says this. I'm, I'm going to back it up to verse 2, uh, but actually verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. Paul is letting us know that the Old Testament promised salvation in the Messiah. He promised the gospel to happen In verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God. Let me just stop right there. What the Bible is telling us is that Jesus in the flesh was the descendant of David. We have a a genealogy of Matthew and Luke. One goes through Mary. One goes through Joseph, the uh, adopted father, the stepfather of Jesus. And Mary, his physical mother. And so when you trace them back... They go down two different lines, but they both come back to David. So physically, Jesus is the descendant of David through Mary, but officially he is the descendant of David through Joseph, and he should have been the king if Israel had had a king. And that's why when the wise men show up two years after his birth, they're asking, where is the one that was born king of the Jews? We know this guy is supposed to be the king. And so in Romans 1.4, it says that, He uh, was descended from David according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of God. How do we know he's the Son of God? In power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Here's the deal. That's what I'm saying. The resurrection is the pivot. If we don't have the... And I know he had to... to, Put on flesh. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die on the cross. He had to go into the tomb. But if he didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't matter. So what? He's one more guy that was martyred for his beliefs. By the way, I don't. I don't think Jesus taught what a lot of us think he taught. You know, everybody thinks you know. Well, God just you know he's he's a good guy and he he wouldn't punish me in hell. But Jesus' teachings were so radical as he called for utter obedience to God that they wanted to kill him. Because he's calling the religious people 
hypocrites. He didn't, he didn't talk that way to lost people. Lost people, he said, hey, come, come, I'll save you. But to the people that are all self-satisfied in their religion, he said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside. You need to, you need to be changed from the inside out. And I would just remind you that they don't often kill Captain Kangaroo. He, he wasn't harmless. He upset their entire system. And so he was put to death. But the Bible says it wasn't what he taught that proves necessarily he was God. Even though what he taught was from God. But all of that would mean nothing if he didn't rise from the dead. And the fact that he rose from the dead makes us pay attention to everything he said. Do you get that? You know, when we hear what he said, we go, wow, that's amazing. When he rises from the dead, that leaves you at a place where you're either in or out. You're on or you're off. You're lost or you're saved. That's it. There's no middle ground with Jesus. He claimed to be the Son of God, and he proved he was Son of God by rising from the dead. And if that be true, and it is, you've got one option, accept him or reject him. You can't think he's a good guy. You can't just be religious. That is not even in the cards. Either he is Lord of all and you follow him in absolute obedience. Or you say, I don't believe it. I don't want it. I don't care. And those are your only two options. And it is the resurrection, this power of resurrection, where his body is changed. And, and he becomes, and the Bible says in 1 John, same guy wrote this book humanly wrote first john that says beloved we are the children of god but it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know this that when we see him we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is and when we see jesus our bodies will be changed to have a body like christ and we look forward uh, to that obviously and so it's the most important fact of history and it's the proof that jesus was who he said he was and in 2 Corinthians, and you can turn there if you want, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that this is the power to the covenant. And, and uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning back up in verse, uh, uh, well, verse 18, I want you to get 19. In, in verse 18, he says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God, in verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He gives power to the covenant. Jesus made a covenant with, with God. And he said, I will, be, I will be the sacrifice for their sin. And that's why in John 1.29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know that in the Old Testament, God gave to Moses a system of sacrifice. But God sacrificed an animal in Genesis Three, right after man's sin, he sacrificed an animal and he used their skins to make clothes. The reason you're wearing clothes today is to remind you that you're a sinner and you've got to cover up your sin. But in those days, they wore an animal skin and God was saying, it causes death. Your sin causes death. Your shame has caused death because death passed upon all men in Adam. And Jesus comes as the perfect lamb, as Abraham said, when his son said, Dad, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the, where's the animal for sacrifice? And Abraham said, don't worry, son, God himself will provide a sacrifice. 
And God goes quiet at the end of the Old Testament for 300 years. He doesn't say anything to anybody. No prophet speaks. And the first prophet that speaks after 300 years of silence is John the Baptist. And he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus not only made the plan, he was the Lamb of the plan. And he became the sacrifice for us. But you know, there's something about a sacrifice. Once it's dead, what you going to do? Well, that's why he got up. He empowers the covenant. He made a deal with, with God the Father. I'll die for their sins and my blood will pay for their sins. And God says, great. But now he enforces that covenant. Because let me tell you, every day that comes, I do something that God is not really thrilled about. And I've got this enemy named Satan. And Satan goes up to God's throne. Because if you think Satan never talks to God the Father, then you didn't read your Bible. I mean, atheism's weird. Even the demons don't fall into that trap. The Bible says in James, the demons believe and tremble. And Satan goes and reports to God. And he just every day, I give him a reason to stand in front of God. He goes, did you see what Stuart did? And God goes, yeah, I saw that. And he goes, man, he deserves to go to hell. And God says, you're right, he does. And then Jesus, my lawyer, stands up and says, a judge, I'd like to point your attention to that mercy seat there, the, the ark, the, where I made that covenant with you. There's the blood that sealed that covenant. And Stuart's in the, under that blood. And he goes, oh, okay, innocent, boom, and I go free. And Satan's got to leave and figure out something else. If he wasn't alive, the devil would be right. But he came to life to advocate for me, for you, before the Father when we sin. Here's some provisions he made. God is still active in our life. In, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, this is a, oh man, the, it, the way the Bible puts it is so, uh, I, I love this, it's so cool. Listen, it says, consequently, what consequently, verse 23 says, the former priest were many in number. There were a lot of priests because they were prevented by death from continuing an office. My, my brother Daniel's down here. He's looking at me a minute ago, so I, I got you down, Daniel. Sorry. But let's say Daniel was my priest in the Old Testament, and I'd bring a lamb out of my flock, and I'd come over and say, Hey, uh, Daniel, uh, here's a lamb I want to offer to sacrifice to God for my sins. So Daniel take my lamb, and he'd offer it. And uh, he'd come out and say, Okay, we're cool. And Thank you, man. Well, then one day Daniel conks out. He dies. Now i got to get a new priest. Oh, Andy, could you, could you be my new priest? Because Daniel died. Sure. And so he has to take over for Daniel, and he starts being the priest. And that happened over and over and over and over and over and over. Because once a year they would offer a lamb for the sin of the people as a sign that, God, we believe that one day you'll provide the lamb. But those priests kept dying. And so Hebrews 7 says, so these priests kept dying. So there had to be a lot of priests. But he, in verse 24... Holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He don't die. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You thought I was just making that story up. I'm telling you, every day Jesus steps between me and my enemy between me and judgment. And he reminds the father, see the blood, see the blood, see the blood. I died for him. And that lamb that was the sacrifice is now the priest. 
that enforces the covenant he made in blood. The new covenant, the new testament of God's grace. And so my sins are forgiven. In Ephesians chapter 1, and it mentions the blood again, but in Ephesians uh, 1, 6, Scripture says this, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It is through the blood of Christ on that cross. When, when I said in heaven that blood's still sitting there, I don't know if you understand that. I meant that extremely literally. The Bible says that life is in the blood. And Jesus was never anything more than man, but he was never anything less than God. And the father determines the blood of the baby. The blood of the baby and the blood of the mother never mix, and the, and the woman doesn't contribute to that. In case you don't know that. That's a medical fact. I said that one time and. This lady came up and said, I don't believe that. And I said, well, study it because it's true. I got that from doctors and medical books. That's very true. And so the blood that Jesus had came from the Father. And his Father was God. And God can't die, so his blood is still alive. And as that blood dripped off the cross, we don't know how he did it, when he did it, where he did it. But the Bible says he took the blood that he shed and walked into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And he deposited it there. When did he do that? Oh, maybe when he cried out, it is finished, it is done, to Telestai, and an earthquake hit, and he bowed his head, and he, his, his spirit left his body, and the Bible says in the, in the veil, the, that, that ton weight leather veil between the people and the place of God tore from the top to the bottom on earth, signifying that in heaven, Jesus had just walked in with his blood, and Put it on the mercy seat. And he said, there, that's the propitiation for their sin. It's a big word that means mercy seated. I just mercy seated the blood that I shed on the cross two minutes ago. And now they can go free. I hope you catch that. Ephesians 1, 6, through his blood we are saved. And that blood is there today speaking for us. And here's the cool thing. Fellowship is restored. Again, I go back to the illustration of being a kid, and you did something Mama told you not to do, and she knows it, and you know she's mad at you because, you know, some days Mama's had enough. And you get to that day, you like, oh, Mama, I'll do the dishes. I'll, you know, you bring her flowers out of her garden. Why are you cutting my, which makes her madder still because you just cut her flowers. But you do anything to try to get back in good grace with God. 1 John 1, 7 says this, But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood, there it is again, of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't have to hide from God because Jesus paid the price for my sin. And fellowship with God is restored, and we have fellowship with each other as brothers and sisters because of the forgiveness of God. And when we break that fellowship, we can go and we can make it right in the, in the spirit of God. We can apologize. We can say we're wrong. We can, we're free to do that because God is the ultimate judge. I can't judge you uh, whether you're good or bad or going to heaven or hell. I know what the Bible says about all that, that all of us are sinners. All of us, there's nobody that looks after, seeks God. There's no one who seeks righteousness. All of us are sinners in rebellion against God. But the Bible says when we were still the enemy of God, he died for us. 
that we could have salvation. And in his dying for us, and then when we come in faith and trust him with that, because that's what the word faith means. It doesn't mean hoping something that's not real becomes real. Faith is a reality. We know that's real, and I trust that. And we put all our weight on Christ, and we trust him to carry us into heaven. Because you're not going to limp into heaven. If he don't carry you in, you're not coming. You're never going to stand before God and say, man, I did more good than bad. And God says, oh, yeah, you did, because your very existence is an affront to God. The Bible says you were conceived in sin, and all your righteousness looks like filthy rags unto him who is perfect. And we all deserve hell, but Jesus stepped between us and the penalty, and he took it on himself. He, took, he became sin. 2 Corinthians says, chapter 5, verse 20, 21, he who knew no sin became sin. On our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And, and he forgives us of our sin. And so our fellowship with the Father is restored. And if our fellowship with the Father is restored. And you are also in that fellowship. That means we're brothers and sisters. And our fellowship is restored. You know somebody said to live with the saints in heaven. Oh what glory. But putting up with them here on earth. That's another story. <laughs> you know we, we, we get that attitude sometimes where we. We get on each other's nerves, but guess what? We got to come to a place where we go, you know, I'm sorry. I know I, know I was aggravating you. I apologize because we're brothers and sisters and we can have that fellowship restored. And 1 John 1 7 is through the blood of Christ that we can have that kind of relationship. And so I, I don't know where you are today, but I know where God wants you to be, and that is in fellowship with Him because you've allowed Him to forgive you of your sin. You see, this isn't automatic. God didn't just save everybody. You have to take that step of faith. For it to be active in your life. And so here's a couple of things you might want to do this week. Look for and thank God for those rolled away results in your life. That rolled away stone so that you have access to see that he's not dead, he's alive. It makes a difference in your life. You can see that miracle. You can see that Jesus is God. You understand that he made a covenant for you with the Father. And that not only did he died to put the covenant into place, but he rose again to enforce it forever against our enemy. And so God is active in our life. My sin is forgiven and fellowship is restored. Look for those benefits of that rolled away stone result in your life. Secondly, where in your life are you allowing unrepented sin to lie dormant? You know you messed up. You know you, you sinned. And you're hoping God won't notice. <laughs> the Bible says that the darkness is the same as light to God. He sees everything. He knows. It says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That nothing is hidden from the God with whom we have to do. And whatever the sin, whether it's passive or an active sin, whether it's, you might not even be aware of it. You might ought to pray and say, God, show me my sin. But be prepared because it is not pretty. And as God shows you your sin, you can repent of it. Turn to him. Turn away from your sin and turn to the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross that he put in power through the resurrection. And that unrepented sin can be dealt with, taken care of, so you have a clear conscience before God. I mean, I, I referred to Adam and Eve in the garden. All they had to do was not eat of one tree. That was it. They had hundreds, thousands of trees, thousands of food just growing. It, there were no thorns, there were no thistles, no poison ivy. I was working in the yard yesterday. I pulled up a bunch of poison ivy bushes, wearing gloves and long sleeves and all that because I'm highly allergic. It made me think about that. We got all that mess because of the fall. 
I mean, food's just growing. Just pssst, There it is. Just eat what you want, but just don't eat off that tree. So what they do? They ran to that tree to get something. They rebelled against the one thing that God told them not to do. And maybe you've been rebellious against God, and you know where it is. But after that happened, every day God would just show up and go for a walk with Adam and Eve. And that evening, after that day of sin, when God showed up, they hid. And Jesus said, Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know where Adam was, but so Adam would know where he was. Out of fellowship. And Jesus had to pay the price for our sin. So where do you have sin that you've not repented of? That breaks that fellowship with God. And doesn't make, doesn't make a saved person lost, but makes a saved person scared and worried and ineffective. And so you've got to repent of that. You've got to come to God. And then after that, I would just say this week, make your recovery with your fellowship with God your top priority. This week, think about Easter. Think about Jesus dying on a cross. Think about him rising from the dead. That he did that for you. And if you're a, if you're a believer, if you know Christ, you're following Christ. And then this week, just realize that he paid the price for you to have that fellowship with him. And where it's broken, restore it. But you might be here and you say, man, if I died right now, I don't know Jesus. I don't, I'm not sure I even believe all this stuff. But God is now speaking in my heart and telling me, you need Christ. You need Christ.